point at them. Some more exciting answers to the baffling and intriguing questions of science. Up and Adam, science on FBI. It's my first Up and Adam. I'm here with Dr. Alice Williamson. Welcome back, by the way. Oh, hello. Good morning and nice to see you, Ruby. Yeah. <laughs> um, we have two pretty interesting topics to talk about today. The first one is all about wildfire season. So we know our kind of normal ways that wildfires are caused, but they've discovered a new one that's kind of a little bit weird. What What's up about that? <laughs> well, um, uh, well, discovered is an interesting word, but we'll come on to this a little bit later. But um, we know that wildfires are typically sped by li- spread by lightning strikes or humans setting fires. But it turns out we've got something else to worry about, and that's birds. So there's been a paper published in the Journal of Ethnobiology um, that has shown that birds, three different species of raptors at least, intentionally spread wildfires by picking up sticks that are burning or smouldering and dropping them um, in sites um, that aren't on fire. What, uh, why why would they do that well it seems that these you know these 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 birds swoop and they 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 kind of gather around these fronts of these of the fire and it seems to be a, a really good way of uh, scaring out their prey so if you drop um, a burning stick um, and you wait, then small prey such as insects and smaller birds and uh, lizards will come scurrying out of that new new area of bush that's on fire, ready for those uh, birds of prey to swoop and have a tasty, maybe partially cooked dinner. Um, and you said that discovery was an interesting word. Who or... Um uh, yeah, who made the discovery? Well, there are there are two authors who've written this uh, great paper, but they're at pains to 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 state that they didn't discover this phenomena. This has actually been um, known um, to Indigenous Australians for at least centuries, probably much much longer, probably more like sixty five thousand years. But um, stories about uh, firehawks have become uh, or have been a part of Indigenous ceremonies and songs and rituals for a very long time, describing this behaviour of of birds that spread these fires. And actually, what the the researchers have done in this paper is they've been inspired by accounts um, written by Indigenous Australians. I think the earliest was from nineteen sixty four that they they picked up on and what they've done is they've traveled to regions in the in the northern territory and actually asked people for eyewitness accounts of this behavior and they've collected 20 eyewitness accounts from uh, people who um, live in the area and uh, and have seen and observed this behavior and are pretty sure that this is intentional that it's not just that the birds are picking up a fiery stick by accident and dropping it somewhere Wow. Um, and so does this just happen in the Northern Territory or is there evidence of it happening? So there is suggestions that it ha- could happen in other places. I think what the researchers really want to do now, because this this report is, it's a really interesting type of research because um, as is kind of stated by the journal that it's published in, it's ethnobiology. So it's um, it's kind of uh, bringing together um, the in traditional knowledge and also some observations and bringing together sort of social experiences and cultural experiences with, with science. Um, so I think one of the things the authors would really like to do is to do the thing that scientists love to do the most, which is to do a control experiment. So this might, um, for example, um, mean that they would go to controlled sites and set fires intentionally and then observe what would happen with birds and see if they could 
capture this um, on film because so far there isn't any footage or uh, photo photographs that are actually good enough to show this phenomena happening. And what does this tell us about tool use with animals? I know I've seen like videos of crows understanding water displacement and stuff like that. Yeah, birds are very, very clever. Certainly they know how to use tools. They know how to use tools to get food. Um, they know how to, well, I mean, they, you know, they build uh, their own nests. Some people have even suggested that, you know, these birds, if they're using fire to hunt in in a very analogous way to the way that humans can use fire to hunt and, you know, use this set fires to get animals to run out of uh, bushes or forests. Um, were birds the first to discover the use of fire or was it humans? And, and is this something that we, we should think about? Um, but yeah, we should, we, we should keep an eye on those birds because <laughs> they're pretty clever. You heard it here first. Birds are going to take over the world. <laughs> um, so uh, this story is about researchers at RMIT. They've come up with an ingenious way of monitoring your gut's health, which could, I'm being a little bit um, ahead of myself, but it could render the breath test useless. So what what is it and how does it work? Yeah, well, so I think people have, have you're used to seeing, you know, tablets and pills that we, we, we take. And also even the idea of a little pill with a camera on the end. People have seen, you know, the videos of, of these, cam- these cameras looking all the way down the journey through our gut and out the other end. Well, these researchers have uh, really tried to improve a breath test and they ended up not creating a new breath test but rather creating a pill that can detect the levels of gases um, inside our bodies so it can detect the gas at different places on its journey um, to its final final exit point Um, and this is important because um, the levels of gases in our body and their different proportion can be indicative of um, how healthy our digestive system is. And um, what should it be able to detect? Like what sort of diseases and stuff like that? Well, um, these researchers have have put these... these uh, camp, well, they're not cameras. Sorry, they've put these gas detecting pills in, into. They first trialed them in pigs. Now they've passed the phase one human trials, and what they're picking up is um, hydrogen, oxygen, and carbon dioxide levels. And they pick these up. They send them to a receiver, and this can ping them to a smartphone and and tell uh, doctors or even individuals what those gas levels are at different stages in the body, and also the temperature, the ambient temperature at those different locations. And while it's completely normal to be full of gas um, because we swallow some, because there are chemical reactions going on that produce gases, there are also lots of biochemical reactions because we have this fascinating um, sort of bacteria in our gut that that break down our food to produce energy and and gases as byproducts. If we have too much gas, um, it's thought that this can cause um, problems. Um, And there are some strong indications that if there are too much of this bacteria, which is essentially fermenting our food a little bit like yeast does when we produce alcohol, um, they... um, then if there's too many of these present, then we can experience too much gas, which can lead to bloating and pain. And this could be linked to several different types of um, bowel disorder, including IBS. 
Cool. Um, and when we're talking about the breath test, we're talking about when you get the little straw and blow up the little balloon and they send it out to get tested. How is this going to be more accurate than that? Well, the, the problem with the breath test and these researchers, when they've been asked about this paper, is that it's it's less than 70% accurate. So um, it it's not really, it's, it's often inconclusive. So, we, you know, you can't sell something definitively about somebody's gas levels and then therefore predict things about their health. Also, if it does work, and for example, it predicts that it, it says that there are high levels of hydrogen gas being produced, for example, it doesn't tell the doctor or the researcher where that hydrogen gas is being produced. And our digestive system's pretty long. So we've got, you know, the small intestine, the long intestine, we've got the stomach. So if you don't know where the problem is, it's more difficult to diagnose and also to, you know, treat. And the great thing about these um these sort of gas testing pills potentially if they go through the next stages of clinical trials because they've still got a little way to go to be honest or a long way to go is that not only could they potentially help in diagnosing um, these sorts of problems but potentially they could be used while you're being treated so you could monitor the improvements in your gut health if you take a certain type of medicine or if you change your diet or if you you know take any other other type of intervention and this could be really useful in kind of having that feedback system rather than just trying something and seeing how you go wow that's really cool and uh, I, I read that it's not like some scary machine. It's actually just around the size of like a fish oil tablet. Yeah, there's a video that's in the link that, that I tweeted earlier, but it's it's just a little bit bigger than your kind of standard paracetamol. So uh, the volunteers involved have said it's quite easy to swallow. And one of the things that, that came out of the study and was written in the ABC article that I posted that I found interesting is it's a, it was a good reminder to, to make sure you've got enough fibre in your diet because <laughs> one of the trial participants took one of these gas-sensing, pills um, and they'd had plenty of fiber and this passed through their system in 21 hours just in case you're wondering the way they know it's come out of your system is because the temperature drops right so once <laughs> it drops below 35 degrees is a pretty good indication that the pill is no longer inside the patient yeah. um, and a person who hasn't taken any hadn't taken any fiber waited for four days and the pill still was hadn't come out Ooh. and then they took had some fiber and it still took a further 36 hours so um, get some fiber in your breakfast cereal this morning, I reckon. Yeah, that's embarrassing for that uh, test patient. Person. Yeah, I know. <laughs> um, it, it sounds a little bit like a gut Fitbit, actually. I was going <laughs> to ask you about that. Um, it sounds like the first, uh, one of the first micro machines making their way inside us. What sort of swallowable technology is there already out there? Well, I think there are there are there are a few things that I know about. So, um, certainly the camera that we mentioned that can go and you know have a look and yeah. and and pass through rather than putting down a camera through the throat and then having to pull it back out again, um, which is obviously really uncomfortable and can be quite distressing so you can sometimes swallow a camera and see what's going on the other thing that um that i've heard about and we we've talked about on up anatomy before um were actually these kind of little uh robots um that are encapsulated in ice pills so this story was about um a robot that was kind of folded up like a, an origami robot and has a little magnet on it and it's frozen in ice so you can swallow it and it can go into the stomach and locate foreign metal objects which stick to the ma magnet and then enable them to be passed and one of the things that this is it's not being used at the moment but it was you know being researched was 
was the idea of um, helping particularly children who'd swallowed uh, those batteries, you know, the lithium batteries, which oh. are such a problem. Um, and this was inspired by a research group that actually saw what happened if you placed a lithium battery on a piece of ham, that the ham completely engorged the battery um, within a few hours. Whoa. So it's just showing you the kind of damage that those batteries can do. So that's something else that I've heard about. It's these little robots that are frozen, um, well, kind of locked in ice that can be swallowed. And I think that we might see a few more of those with specific functions um, yeah. in, in the not too distant future, I reckon. Yeah, I was I was just going to say, do you think swallowable technologies are going to be are going to be in the future quite a lot? It sounds a bit like a Black Mirror episode. But... <laughs> it does a bit, but I, you know, I think I think. Um, it, it's 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 hard to to say how efficient you know these different types of technology technologies will be, but certainly this um, gas monitoring um, device seems to be really interesting and to give us some knowledge that we haven't had before. Um, so I'll be really interesting to follow this story and to see how it progresses through the next stages of trials. I think the researchers have got to raise quite a bit of capital to, to you know to to fund these trials because they're very expensive, but they really want to keep this technology in Australia, which is also pretty cool. Yeah, definitely. And obviously, if it gets stuck, then you can just send the little robot down to to pick it up. Again. <laughs> you heard it here first. That's, from, that's your. That's just by Ruby Miles trademark. <laughs> well, thank you so much for coming in for my first up and Adam. I hope that was. I hope that wasn't too bad. No, it was great. It's a oh, pleasure. Thank you so much, Dr. Alice Williamson. I'll see you next week. See you next week.